hello, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. It's a 12 questions edition today, and I'm your host, Jeff Gluck. I'm coming to you for the second to last time from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, after this week, Sarah and I are headed out. Um, her internship at the Children's Hospital here in Albuquerque is finishing up on Friday. So we're going back to the next spot, um, which for now is Charlotte, where we have our apartment through June. And um, we'll see what happens after that. She has a she had a job interview uh, Monday of this week. She feels like it went well, but hasn't heard back on that yet. So I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, we could be moving in the near future. So we'll just see. But um, only one more podcast from Albuquerque. That's tomorrow's uh, social spotlight with Jim Utter of motorsport.com. But for now, we have a 12 questions with Daniel Hemrick, who uh, I first heard about from Matt Weaver, the short track aficionado, who kept talking up Hemrick. Oh, he's just so great. He's the one to watch. He's he's the up and comer. And now Daniel Hemrick is getting a shot with uh, Richard Childress Racing in the Xfinity Series, recently won the pole for the Richmond race. And I happened to talk to him on Richmond weekend. So here's that interview. All right, we are here with Daniel Hemrick. And Daniel, the first question is, how much of your success is based on your natural ability and how much has come from working at it? I feel like for myself, um, I feel like the natural ability was always there, but given my upbringing and having to work on my own cars and build my own race cars and do all that stuff, I had to work at it, like work extremely hard at it. And um, as you get to this level, it seems like that, is even more of a difference um so even if the natural ability is there you're also talking about what the top 120 some best guys at this in the world so um you got to do both sides of it i think in order to succeed so jeff gordon tony stewart and i guess you could say now dale jr have all retired or are retiring in the last couple of years what is your pitch for fans of theirs to become fans of yours I just think uh, other than the dirt background, I consider myself kind of like an old school asphalt racer of those guys style because kind of going back to what I said, just working on my own stuff and having to do it a different way from hard work and, and knowing the ins and outs of a race car, not just the showing up part of the racing. And that's something I feel like that's kind of set me aside to hopefully to have fans from Dell Jr. and Tony Stewart and those guys that are looking for somebody to attach themselves to do it with a guy that's had to come up kind of the same same route in uh, in order to work hard to get to where they're at and um i try to pride myself on that and hopefully it gives all the other kids opportunities that we're in the same situation i am fighting you know tooth and nail for their lives to have an opportunity to get in a race car and for me to be able to do that hope to help other kids be able to do that someday and uh hopefully guys can attach to that do you think that knowing the car in and out so well can give you an advantage when you're doing uh like when you're giving feedback to your crew chief whether it's um for race setup stuff or during a race yeah, I feel like that's something my crew chief, Danny Stockman, and I actually live and breathe off of. Um, new package in the Xfinity Series, new car for myself. We're at race eight here at Richmond, and uh, we're kind of both learning it on the go. Um, so just a little stuff that I've done, especially when we go short track racing, that have helped me in other style of vehicles, I feel like has applied, and I think it's going to continue to imply as our relationship becomes better and better. Um, so I like to think that gives me a, a little bit of the, the upper hand uh, compared to a lot of the, the young, other younger guys that are trying to make a name for themselves here in the series. Um, the, the other backside of that is sometimes you uh, get in a situation where you're trying to do too much of that of knowing the race car. So you got to know when to disconnect from that. What is the hardest part of your job away from the racetrack? I think from 
other level of short track racing and getting to this level, there was never any time. I know a lot of guys say, oh, we never have enough time to do what we want to do during the week. I kind of disagree with that because I can remember the sleepless nights, building race cars all night, and getting up, driving a truck to the racetrack. So it is, for me, knowing what to do with the time, not having to you know, come home every night and clean your fingernails and scrub your hands just to go at the dinner with the wife and go back to the shop. It's knowing what to do with that spare time, and it's allowed me to take out some other endeavors in life. So you have too much time, or you have more free time than you're used to. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much. Never have too much, but I have more free time than what I've been accustomed to over the last you know, 10 or 15 years uh, trying to make a name for myself in racing. But um, it's all success. It's allowed me to take up little, you know, some other sports and pay attention to other world news and stuff like that, something that I never did growing up. So I'm trying to reconnect with stuff I've lost, all, lost out on in the past. What's something you've picked up with your uh, additional time? Uh, golf is one thing that I never saw myself doing, but – when we get around to golf is four four and a half hours no matter how you want to look at it so um that's something i've tried to take to and mentally it's also helped the racing a little bit just how you can mentally take yourself in or out of a game really quick so uh i've tried to connect to that and throughout that i've made some great relationships uh i've had the pleasure of playing with ricky and, and larson a couple of times and uh chris rebel is a good golf buddy of mine so all of us kind of go in it together and uh it's something i've really enjoyed it's true because in golf i mean you really only have yourself to blame if something goes wrong, and you can get mad at yourself in a hurry, you know? Yeah, um, I had an old golfer tell me uh, just last or two weeks ago, um, he said, man, if you think about it, golf's four and a half hours, and I agreed with him. Um, but the backside of that is you're only playing for 90 seconds with your backswing and your full swing, three-tenths of a second. So in 90 seconds, you can completely be in left field or, or th where you need to be. So uh, I thought that was a pretty good analogy. So let's say a fan spots you eating dinner in a nice restaurant. Should they approach you for an autograph or no? Absolutely. I feel like with where our sport's at today, having those one-on-one -on -one encounters is going to go further than maybe doing some meet and greets with large groups of people. So uh, if, first off, somebody notices me, that's, that's a plus in itself, um, trying to do what I'm trying to do here. Uh, but on the backside of that, taking the time to make their encounter that much more special could lead to them trickling you know, your name throughout other people, their family, which leads to a big following. So come see me. Okay. What's a story in NASCAR that doesn't get enough coverage? I think it's everything behind the scenes. Um, for me, I get a chuckle of over a lot of the sponsorship stuff and how late some of these deals get put together. Um, a, a lot of people from the outside and just the, the, the casual fan of the sport don't realize that there's been plenty of times in all three garages, truck, Xfinity, and Cup, where cars are getting wrapped you know at, during the midnight oil and all that stuff and suits are getting embroidered and all the stuff that makes this whole deal go around a lot of people don't get to see that side of it so the people in the background uh they don't get all the credit they need interesting so who is the last driver you texted last driver i texted here let me look be sure i don't want to lie to you uh brad keselowski Brad Kozlowski, he's a guy I always try to, you know, shoot a text here and there, especially going to new racetracks for the first time and having a great relationship with him from running his truck. He's always there to kind of help me what to look for and whatnot. So uh, he's a guy I always texts. So is he still willing to give advice? Yeah, Brad's obviously given some of the best advice, in my opinion. I know I have a, a ton of depth in my RCR group as teammates, but Brad doing all the things he's done in the sport and being so successful and doing it a lot of the same way I've had to come up doing it, he understands the, the, the trials of trying to jump in and, and go not only go fast and perform, but do it at new places and do it in a quick manner. It's, it's a lot to take in. So he kind of helps uh, prep me of what to look for, what not to look for, and how to get the balance of the race cars right. Um, just help me do what I can do in the seat and try to let the crew guys worry about the race car. What is your middle finger policy on the racetrack? Middle finger policy. You know, 
I've, I think I've flown two or three middle fingers out the window, you know, over time. Probably, I'd say more so in lap traffic going through those situations. But when you're racing a guy really hard and he's not giving you any room, even four position or for a lead lap, I find a casual, you know, deuces out the out the window is more of a hey, watch this, watch me drive away from your remark. I feel like that that makes more of a remark than uh, the middle finger. So you're like, peace out. That's exactly right. That's awesome. I like that. Um, so some drivers keep a payback list uh, in their minds for drivers who have done them wrong. Do you also have a list for drivers who have maybe done you a favor on the track? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think I feel like in the truck series, the racing was root, you know, root and gouge and the, the way the downforce in the trucks are without getting too in-depth with the aero stuff, but you can't really give much room. Um, so you find a lot of those enemies and, and, and things about you want to pay back. But in the Xfinity series, having RCR and, and pretty much six cars, if you want to look at it, at the racetrack, we're around each other a lot. Um, so noticing a guy like me and Austin Dillon have spent a lot of time racing each other this year, and he's a really smart racer about, at least to me, about letting me go at times. And uh, we both found each other in those situations of playing give or take throughout this, the course of the year. And, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you never forget all that stuff, and it does go a long way. Who is the most famous person you've had dinner with? Most famous person. I'd have to call it lunch, but uh, I had a like, casual lunch in the hauler um, my very first year in the truck series. I was teammates with Travis Pastrana, and just a interesting, crazy excitement, and the guys just always wound up, and I had a hard time eating and, and following where we were going with our conversations, but, man, he, he's such a cool dude and so down to earth that it, it, was, uh, it was definitely an experience to sit down and have some time with that guy and uh, hopefully get to do a couple more of those. It's crazy how some of the bigger people like in life are so like they, they don't have the larger than life personalities. Like I remember Pastrana was just like so chill, you know? Yeah, so chill. And um, yeah, if you can keep him on focus on what we're talking about, he's, he's as good as they get. And, you know, as we're talking here, my mind goes one other place and it wasn't a dinner. But just recently I had the opportunity to um, go to like one of the top five biggest tennis matches in the world. And I know nothing about tennis. But hell, I look right, and three rows over, sitting next to me is Bill Gates. And I thought, man, here's a kid from Canapolis, North Carolina. Bill Gates is sitting less than 20 yards away from me. Where am I at? How have I gotten here? So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. What is something about yourself you'd like to improve? You know, for me personally, um, kind of, I keep going back to the short track side of things, but you work all the time, and the healthy eating is hard to follow suit. Um, at this level, working on yourself, you know, studying races, doing all that stuff, that's, that's the stuff I live for and, and thrive on. And working out I love, but I feel like I work out so I can eat what I want. I, I love foods. I wish I could figure out a way to get a more healthy uh, lifestyle that way. What are some of your guilty pleasure foods? Oh, man, I'm big on uh, downtown Mooresville, JJ Wasabi's Japanese restaurant. That's my go-to. Uh, my wife, Kinsey, gets mad, but I could probably eat there three or four times a week and, and have, no, have no shame over it. Uh, that's my go-to. So um, for each interview, I ask a question from the next guy uh, to give a question for the interview. And I did one with Elliot Sadler last week. And his question is, uh, he kind of got off on this tangent about it, but he, he's wondering if you agree with him that they should draw a pill and invert a certain number of starting spots right before the green flag. So the pole sitter would come out and he'd draw a pill and he's like, oh, they just inverted X amount of spots. Like, would you be down with that? Yeah, I feel like, you know, as the season goes and you get later and the higher um, intensity races, you know, in the playoffs and all that stuff and dash for cash races, maybe not. But I feel like the races where we're trying to add a little bit of excitement, um, Elliot coming from the short track background and myself, that, that's a that's normal on a regular Friday or Saturday night local show is, yeah, to go up and have a 
six or eight Coke cans sitting on the wall and have a fan come down and flip one over and there'll be a Sharpie number, you know, one through six or eight. And that's where, you, that's where you're going to start, whether you're a fast, you know, qualifier or eighth, you could be completely on the pole. So, um, I, I'm not, I don't like the whole inversion. I like where you pick your random spot. You don't know where or who you're going to be around. So, uh, I'd be all for that, uh, as some of the races we're looking to amp everybody up a little bit for. I'm sure Elliot will be happy to hear that. Um, I don't know who the next interview is with, but do you have a general question that I could ask another driver? Um, general question. I'd I, I like to know maybe from one of the guys who maybe haven't had to come up through it, like kind of like an Elliot Sadler or myself or a Brad Kozlowski. It's one of the guys that maybe had financial backing at a younger age. How did they transform from being that guy to being a guy who's now here on ability and not that paycheck? So basically, how do you overcome the, uh, the the money guy perception? Yeah, how do you overcome the perception of being, oh, his, his dad got me there, or this sponsor got him there, to this guy's here and he means business, he's going to be here for a long time? That's a good question. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, man. Thank you. So there you have it. And afterwards, I asked Daniel Hemrick who he thought would be good um, in particular for that question that he um, posed, and he suggested perhaps William Byron. So I was able to get William Byron for the 12 questions, and you will hear that next week on the podcast as well as on jeffgluck.com. One shout-out this week. I want to thank Ed Underwood for being a patron and helping me get to the racetracks. I appreciate that. Uh, If you want to find out more about the benefits of becoming a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash jeff underscore gluck. I would greatly appreciate that. And uh, until tomorrow, like I said, Jim Utter is coming up. We'll ask him about why he blocked so many people on Twitter, lighthouse photos, all that stuff. And that's all discussed uh, on the podcast. So I will talk to you then. See ya. Bye-bye.